Hey, happy, beautiful post-Memorial Day Wednesday. Yeehaw, did you make it through the wind and the rain and the wind? And did we mention the wind? Oh my goodness. Um, It was a holiday, that's for sure. And uh, here we are, Wednesday afternoon, KZUM, K9360. I'm Jill, here to share dog stuff, but mostly first, here to say thanks. Thanks so much for your support of us and the station and making us feel pretty special on Give to Lincoln last week. Groovy, groovy, groovy. Looks like we're going to get to stick around for a while, right? That's what happens when we support each other through these endeavors. And, uh, of course, we couldn't do it without you. So thank you so much for being here. Um, I want to make mention today of another group that needs our support, and that's your veterinary team. I don't know how much uh, folks pay attention to Uh, how things are for veterinarians and veterinary technicians, veterinary nurses, and all their staff. Um, But it's kind of a bumpy ride. And what I want to be able to share with you today are some notes from the field. The first is a list of what are called veterinary truisms that was on social media uh, last week. And Oh, some of the things in this list of truisms are true of dog training as well. Um, But I think it's worth making mention of, because I don't think any of us want to be that client, right? We need our veterinarians, and we love them, and we couldn't do any of this without them. And it's probably (coughs) a good reminder, excuse me, every so often to um, have at least some perspective of what it might look like on the other side of the clipboard or the other side of the exam room, as the case may be. Um, Following from the veterinary truisms, uh, an email I received as part of an exchange with a veterinary technician slash veterinary nurse friend of mine who lives in another state who is actually leaving veterinary medicine now. She wasn't at the time she sent me this email. But uh, just some things for us all to think about the next time we take our beloved pets in to get the good care that we know they get from our beloved veterinary staff. All right, veterinary truisms. Number one, an estimate in the mind of the client is an exactment. Number two, The person who feeds table scraps or overfeeds their pet will not be the person currently in the exam room with you. Number three, if the client has to ask their spouse, the pet's treatment will not happen. Number four, you, the veterinarian, will be held accountable for what you say, what you don't say it, how you say it, and what the client thinks you said. Five, The client who is late to their appointment will be in a hurry. Six, the additional pet brought to an exam who is just along for the ride isn't. Number seven, 
an owner who tells you they will be waiting by the phone for your call are easily reached at the given number, or I always have my cell phone with me, will not. 8. If you tell a client when test results will be ready, you will be wrong. Number 9. Always double the amount of time or how long someone tells you their pet has been ill. Number 10. Anyone who is late to their appointment or know you're near to closing will always be only five minutes away. Corollary. When they say this, assume at minimum they mean football minutes. Number 11. Clients can relate a problem to anything that was previously done at your clinic, regardless of how much time has passed. Example, the problem is tumor or coughing or limping has been present ever since the spay, the nail trim, the boarding, and it came back last week, last month, last year, last decade. People will, oh, this is number 12. People will always double what they say they spent at the veterinarians compared to what they actually did. Number 13, if you are told a pet doesn't like men, you'll find the truth is it doesn't like anyone. Number 14, if you have to carry a pet to and or from a person's car, they will have parked as far from the front door as possible. Number 15, if the owner is asking if it is okay to give substance A to their pet, they have already actually given it. Number 16, if you have the most accessible, easy-to-hit Alaskan pipeline-sized vein, the pet will be the most uncooperative and fractious patient. Conversely, the sweetest, most easily handled cooperative pet will have the tiniest movable hard to find veins to hit. Number 17, I try really hard not to do this one. The client will tell you the most valuable piece of information in diagnosing their pet while you are using your stethoscope. Think about that for a minute, right? Don't talk to the veterinarian when they're using the stethoscope. Uh, I try really hard not to do that. Number 18, you will always be told that the poor dog with the smelly, matted, oily, tangled mess of a coat is scheduled for grooming tomorrow. This will be stated no matter when in the year or how often you see the dog. Also, all of the problems with the dog's coat is not what it will be in the clinic for. Number 19. The word not is the most widely client misheard word in a veterinary setting, considering the following examples. Here's what is said. This problem will come back. Client hears. This problem will not come back. What is said. Do not allow Bongo to run after surgery. Client hears. Do allow Bongo to run after surgery. Number 20. The client's definition of expensive simply means that your services cost something. Number 21. The scheduling paradox, it is not important for clients to be on time, only for you to be on time. And number 22, 
there is an inverse relationship between how loudly a client proclaims how well they take care of their pet and how well they actually do. So, I know, we don't want to be those folks, right? Be on time, be respectful, have good information, tell the truth, right? When we can. So my friend sent the email, and if you've been on social media or seen news stories, you know that there's actually an organization now called Not One More. And Not One More is, excuse me, dedicated to helping veterinarians and their teams um, manage their work-life balance, their professional perspectives, their client relationships, with an eye on lowering the rather terrifying rate of suicide in veterinary medicine. And I read the veterinary journals. They come to my house, um, the trade journals, because I attended veterinary conferences some years ago and used to go and speak with veterinarians and um, help them with continuing education uh, in some ways. And and I think it was Patty Cooley who writes for uh, Veterinary Practice News who said in her column that there is not one single practicing veterinarian that she's aware of who has not been personally affected by the suicide of a colleague, a veterinary school classmate, um, a friend in the profession, that it it's so widespread that it's not a matter of six degrees. It's It's always someone you know. And this is super concerning, of course, because uh, we need these professionals and they need to know how much we appreciate them and their skill set uh, and their compassion. So anyway, let me share this email with you. Um, this is part of it. I didn't include the whole thing because there's some personal stuff too. But it, it's a little sobering to think about but I think it's important information for us as part of our community conversation about dogs and their role in our families, which a conversation that has to include how we procure, respond to their medical caregivers. So my friend has written that I've come to the sad realization that as much as I love my job, I will burn out of the veterinary field. It doesn't really matter how long it takes, how much money I spend on continuing education uh, or the schooling that got me here in the first place. It doesn't matter how much I enjoy working with sick animals, the care I take of them, the work I do with my doctors, the skill that allows me to give specialized and personalized care. She says, it's not the physical aspect of the field. I've had some nasty scratches, taken a bite or two, Excuse me, but nothing seriously injurious to my mental or physical well-being, and I'm grateful that no visits to the emergency room or urgent care have been required. I was fortunate to be mentored to have an overinflated sense of self-preservation, and along with a keen understanding of the subtleties of animal behavior, I can quickly recognize the signs of potential risk to my person. 
Um, as I continue to age in a profession where animals can outmuscle us, I'm cognizant that there will be a time when I may need to let the younger bodies take over for certain tasks. When I decided to make my place in this world, I didn't want to make it. Uh, I didn't. I wanted to make it a point to work with animals and the people who came with them. I didn't then and still don't want to be a human nurse or work with people in a medical capacity. I chose to work with domestic companion animals that had no voice, didn't understand what we were doing or how we were trying to help them. I see the tolerant, the gentle, the good-natured, the cooperative, and the social. I see the fearful, the troubled, the lacking in confidence, the ignorant, and the entitled with an artificially overinflated, misplaced sense of self-importance. Their medical care is my concern, encompassing physical, mental, and emotional health. I chose to work with animals, creatures living in this world who do not think like us, act like us, speak as we do, or feel and perceive as we do. I chose to make my living interacting daily with domestic non-humans, animals with drives, instincts, and languages so different from us, and acknowledge that difference. Bridge it, if possible, with the right animal. Open up lines of communication, respect, and trust. Learn how to humanely and effectively control and contain animals that refuse or resist while still getting my job done and sending that animal home to live another few years or days in good health. I go home at the end of some days counting my fingers to be sure I'm doing my job correctly. Unfortunately, I find myself working with fewer and fewer animals. The profession instead is making me work more and more with fur children. I am supposed to gush over them, give accolades to their parents for the extreme tasks they perform, such as converting oxygen to carbon dioxide, and look how cute they are while they do it, and deserving of my undivided praise. And excuse or forgive these animals' behaviors that may have serious potential for injury to myself or to them in the long run. I am to dismiss deliberate acts of aggression or fear as silly or naughty, regardless of the root cause, blithely ignore or talk over dogs who insist on attention via highly practiced ear-piercing shrieks or give acts of consolation or comfort to animals whose minds are truly in a wrong state to be receiving such attention. Lest I come across as a resource-guarding, pet-hating bully bent on keeping parent separated from child, I must allow owners to invade not only their pet space, but also my own during exam as they shove their face and hands around me in an attempt to physically connect with the pet that may or may not be in a mental state and prepared to accept, appreciate, or reciprocate such an effort. To say that any action may not be, in the, uh, may not be the best by their pet is to depreciate the human animal or the pet parent fur baby bond and insult people beyond words at their choice of action or reaction towards their animal and garner one nothing but poor review for working at a hospital that doesn't enjoy or celebrate or foster the pet-parent-fur-baby bond. To speak up for the physical, mental, or emotional welfare of the animal being incorrectly handled in any capacity by its owner in any given situation during a veterinary visit brings out vitriol and criticism as well as if one just outright admits a general hatred toward the world and its inhabitants. We are supposed to believe and act as though we believe that a dog or a cat would never bite, 
growl, hiss, or scratch because of feelings. Instead of knowing that the animal has simply never been put into a situation where it feels it has to or can respond in such a manner. If such a response is observed or heard by fur mommy or daddy, it must be something about us provoking the response. They've never heard that sound out of their child before. When we asked to have the animal placed on a table or brought out from a corner underneath a bench, we are met with a silent underlying disbelief, whether it's from the sheer inaction of the owner and a vapid smile, or the saccharine pleading that gets known anywhere fast and simply delays the inevitable. Meanwhile, once the animal is on the table, the constant accolades and soothing tones of it's okay, baby, mommy's here, be nice, do nothing to calm the animal or make our job any easier. I am supposed to listen to what could potentially turn into hours of perceived backstory about a patient who is telling me something very different. The third party who flushes out the story, whether it's the owner or the vet rescue volunteer, certainly did not consult the animal when describing tales of abuse at the hands of Filipino, not Indian, men wearing Oakleys, not Ray-Bans, and pork pie hats tipped at a jaunty angle, never the imposing beekeeperhood or the menacing balaclava, carrying all manner of willow switches, nine irons, and baseball bats, but never a badminton racket, and speaking only in the most gruff and deep tone of voice, why should anyone ever speak normally anymore? while associating the most benign of householder industrial beeping, squealing, and clicking sounds with torturous pain. Meanwhile, the dog in front of me is doing all he can to say that he was just never raised to live in an unclosed, modern, suburban household environment and a fenced-in yard with these strange beings who force themselves on him in ways that he doesn't understand, do things to him that test his patience give him all manner of entertainment and liberties at their own expense while becoming increasingly angry when he takes advantage of those liberties and limit his abilities to communicate effectively with them. Were the pet parents to have their way? I guess I'm supposed to hold and cuddle the patient all day, watch their every move and every breath, ignoring everything around me except to call his mom every hour on the hour to give an update. Maybe he ate, maybe he slept, maybe he sat and panted despite the heavy pain medication, or maybe he calmly observed his surroundings despite the busy hospital ward. Mom is suffering horribly as a result of being separated from her fur baby, and if I don't call them, then she, in the tone of voice she will use with my receptionist as a result of not receiving an update about her baby, may not be very nice. He must be in such a state of anxiety over being separated from her that we surely must want to release him into the care of her loving embrace right this minute. So when can she come over and see him or take him home? He's been hospitalized for a few hours. Isn't he better now? She told us that he was anxiety-ridden when we took him to the back for hospitalization. However, is he surviving without her? The public perception of my job, she continues, creates compassion fatigue and drives the burnout that ultimately sucks the love out of the career. The constant display of emotion we're supposed to uphold, the perceived feelings of absolute love for each patient, the alleged never-ending wells of compassion that exist within us is truly a lie, and the lay people eat it up. The disconnect between the issue at hand and their outright dismissal or ignorance of animals' behavior that puts us at risk on a regular basis is sadly 
what drives the profession into the future. She finishes by saying, I want none of the fear-free marketing that turns veterinary professionals into milquetoasts who are afraid to touch an animal without expert-level consideration of its feelings or require drugging to suppress the symptoms of the inability to cope with basic handling or a change in environment. I want none of the anthropomorphism that forces me to ignore or gloss over serious warning signs, covert or otherwise, that indicate future issues in the dog-owner relationship if only the love between them really did matter. I want none of the fabricated background story of the animal in front of me that is displaying very different behaviors than the animal that would otherwise come out of such a sad situation. I dream of a return to the profession, to the respect of what an animal is, what drives them as a species and an individual, what they desire and how to give it to them in a way that is compatible with our short encounters that occur everywhere, from every few years to multiple times yearly. Mental, mental health advocates, sorry, will probably look at the veterinary field in despair for a good long while because it confuses us when people choose the inherent stress and angst in their relationship with their pets, when it gives them pleasure to complain about it, detail the steps they must take in order to cope with living in a house with an animal or worse, multiples, that, is, that has such special needs as to require food be served in a certain way or affection or treats given on a specific timetable or worse on demand in their specific manner. They do not seek or they downright refuse advice as to how they can make their own lives and that of their animals easier and less stressful. They refuse to acknowledge the pet as the source of the problem, instead using it as a tool to gain sympathy without immediate, I'm sorry, gain sympathy without acknowledging the pet as the source of the problem, instead all right, the stress becomes too much. Months or years of ongoing habits must be stopped immediately or the relationship may have to be terminated permanently in some unhappy manner. Suddenly the relationship is our problem as medications are dispensed to suppress behaviors that have been allowed to fester into entrenched habits and personality traits that must be gone now, according to the owner. As appointments are made for the ultimate in permanent terminations as a result of owners trying everything except that which would actually work, including changing their own mindsets and behaviors, or the owners complaining about the cost of visit after visit for a medically induced sequelae to the result of ha living a sedentary lifestyle fueled by inappropriate choices. So... <clears throat> Hard words for us to hear, um, but a good, a good request, I think, asking us to extend our empathy to the veterinary teams that take such good care of our pets that um, are struggling to take care of themselves in that process. And uh, yeah, cookies don't hurt, right? Um, a kind word doesn't hurt. Uh, treating everybody from the front to the back of the clinic with respect 
and uh, appreciation and right legitimate questions are got are good legitimate questions are fine um taking a participatory role and an active curiosity uh with respect to your your dog's physical well-being i think is welcome um but I think the idea that veterinarians should practice for free because they love pets, um, that they should be available 24-7, that, that there are correspondences that are not cause and effect, um, and the whole, you know how I feel about the whole fur baby pet parent thing, so we don't have to drill down on that one. But be nice to your veterinarian be nice to yourself and be nice to your dog by playing fair right with them with the veterinary team and uh, respecting them for the busy place that they are I was in buying dog food the other day and uh, the office manager at the clinic that I go to said she said a lot of places you can't even get in um it's been kind of a kind of a moment, I think, for vet med, even locally. I read about it in those trade journals, and I know something's going on on the national level, but it's happening here too. So, take care of your veterinarians and your veterinary team, and they will take good care of you and your pet in return. All right, that's it for us. We are sliding out of the chair. Um, have a good Wednesday. It's warming up. Summer's here. Um, well-behaved dogs like to go to places like Stransky, concert series, Thursday nights. Come out and support KZUM and bring the dog. Hang out in the grass and listen to music and wear a sticker or buy a T-shirt and uh, Hope to see you at one or another of the concerts coming up. In the meantime, hang around. Celebration is up next. We love you. We're glad you're here. Um, you've been listening to K9360 on KZUM, KZUM HD, the coolest radio station in the world. See you next week.